emotions make us human. We don't have to have it right all the time, but we just have to show our kids that we are working on certain things if we are, or that we have moments when our cup is full. We talk a lot on this podcast about the importance of helping build our child's ability to regulate their emotions. But before we can really do that, we need to learn how to navigate our own big feelings. Dr. Cindy Huffington has a doctorate degree in neuroscience from McGill University and postdoctoral training in science education. She's also a mom of three and founder of Curious Neuron and the host of the Curious Neuron podcast. I am so excited to have Cindy here to talk about some of the ways that we can work on processing the full range of emotions ourselves and helping our children learn to identify, understand, and cope with all the emotions they experience as well. There's so much learning that can be done through play. Okay, let me geek out on brain science for just a second. When children are playing, their nervous system is in a state of relaxation or rest digest, aka the opposite of fight or flight. And in this state, the frontal lobes of their brain are firing, giving your child the ability to reason, problem solve, and acquire new information. So what does that mean? It means that we know from research and science that one of the best ways to teach our children is not in the heat of the moment not through a lecture, but through calm, connected moments during play. And that is exactly why I've created a guide that teaches you how to incorporate emotion regulation building games into your child's play. In my free guide, Reduce Tantrums Before They Even Begin, I teach you five fun and simple games that help children develop emotion regulation skills like learning to breathe, inhibit impulse, and calm their bodies down. To download this free guide to strengthen your child's emotion regulation skills when their brain is most receptive to learning, go to drsarahbren.com forward slash resources. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash resources. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey and distilled everything down into easy to understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. So we have a really special guest joining us today. This is a very good friend of mine I know from the parenting world, Cindy Huffington. We are so lucky to have you here to talk all about language and emotions and parenting. How are you doing? Thank you. It's so nice to see you, Sarah. I, I love chatting with you. We, I think we can talk about tantrums and emotions all day. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I think we could though. I think yes. it's a challenge. We should <laughs> the twenty-four <It's>, hour challenge, <laughs> right? It's because because yeah. parents are constantly asking about it all day long. Yes. I know, but it's our biggest struggle as parents, and it doesn't matter what degree or background you have. I think you end up in your first like situations of it, and you you think you have the tools sometimes, and then you don't you don't realize that you're part of it too, and then you need to work on yourself. So I'm sure we're going to talk about all that, but oh my god, I think yes. it's a journey. It's it's not it's okay not to have the answers, but hopefully our conversation will give tools to to parents. Yes. And I think, I mean, you're a mom, you're in it. Like I'm in Mm -hmm. it. Like, Mm -hmm. and we both, from a professional lens, we study this, we teach it, 
But like, I don't know, like, I'm sure we'll get into this today, but like, I don't always practice what I teach. I can't. I'm a, can't. I, it, it escapes me at times. Yeah. And I want parents to know that I don't practice what I do every, you know, what I preach every day either. And it's because there are moments when you are not your best self. There are moments when you're tired. There are moments when you're, you know, stressed because of something for work or whatever it is. And then you're not going to parent the same way that you know, your brain is not functioning the same way. And, and I think what we have to understand is it's like that for us and it's like that for our kids too. Um, but it's like I was telling you before, it was such a, it wasn't a good night tonight with the kids. You know, I have three kids, ages three, five, and seven. And um, I had, you know, it, it's getting cold here in Montreal. And, and so I said, let's have dinner outside for the last time. We'll put on a sweater. We'll make it cozy. You know, I, I just wanted to eat outside. I, I love eating outdoors. And I had this idea of like a really nice dinner. And then from the moment we sat outside, they were, all, they were all complaining. They were cold. They didn't want to eat outside. They wanted to go back inside. And it just led its snowball effect. You know, there's a snowball effect of like one kid crying and then going inside and getting mad and then a tantrum and this and that, it, you know. I, I, I think, and I had a moment, <laughs> I had a moment where I lost it and it's, I have to come back to myself and realize like what's happening in my brain and what's happening in theirs. They're, they're cold mm -hmm. and I get it. It wasn't that cold, but they just weren't happy. They, they, it wasn't a good night for them, but I had expectations that I had to let go of. So that's why I always say like, we have to come back to ourselves first, work on ourselves a little bit, and then we're able to manage certain situations better. Like I, you know, I got upset once out of the whole night of <laughs> three hours or two hours, whatever it was, but it's, you know, you have to talk to yourself sometimes and be your, your, your coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, just that, that brings us to like a big part of what we wanted to talk about today, which is talking, talking mm -hmm. language, whether yeah. we're talking to ourselves in the moment, talking to mm -hmm. ourselves after a rough moment, oh, yeah. talking yeah. to our kids in the moment, yeah. or maybe after as a repair because mm. we lost it and mm. we have to go back. Because like you don't always have to get it right. But we want to no. we wanna narrate mm. when we don't get it right as a way of kind of helping everybody make sense of it and process it. Yeah. And, and I, I love that you started the talking part from the beginning, which is us, <laughs> because I think our internal language will change a lot of how we – kind of navigate these big emotions in our kids because if we're not calm internally and we're kind of being negative about ourselves in this moment and our child, we will approach it very differently versus seeing it as just a moment, knowing that it's going to pass and, and just, you know, saying your child's not out to get you. They're just having an emotion around something. They're frustrated or they're behaving a certain way because they're disappointed that you had to leave grandma and grandpa's house, whatever it is. I find that when I start with that internal language and remind myself that my child is acting a certain way or or having these big emotions because of something that's happening in their environment, I can I can help them a little like a lot more actually because I'm being compassionate around their emotions and I'm being compassionate around how I feel in the moment. And it's okay to say to yourself, you know, if your child has a tantrum, it's okay to say I I, I don't want to deal I don't want to deal with this right now. Like I can't. I I don't have the energy mm -hmm. to and I find that when I say that to myself, I kind of like, it's like a little warm hug. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, Cindy, you can't deal with this, but we, we, we're we going to deal with it as best as we can. And it might not be the best, you know, that you want, um, but we're going to do whatever we can in this moment. And it's, it's comforting and it, you do what you can. And sometimes you need to walk away or take a moment and 
when you kind of explain that to your child, they're going to see that you have emotions <laughs> just like theirs and it's okay to lose it. Like you said, there's the repair part after, but you have, we have to externalize our kind of language around emotions. And so our kids start to understand, like, these are normal. They happen to mom and dad and everyone around me. Um, and it's okay when I have them, there are boundaries, obviously you don't, you know, hit and, and, and do certain things when you're having a big emotion, but just, yeah, having that language just helps a child so much. Yeah. And it makes me think too, of like this idea of making the, the process of things conscious, like Mm. bringing the, what might feel like a subconscious process or something that our kids maybe don't have access to knowing. So for example, if I'm having a dinner, if I'm sitting at dinner with my kids and I have an idea in my mind, if I wanted dinner to go and it's not going that way and I'm getting frustrated and I'm yelling. And then afterwards, um, you know, I'm a little less patient throughout the bedtime routine. My kids don't know that I had a different expectation of how the night was going to go and maybe it meant something kind of special to me to have this one last dinner outside and like it was something sort of special for me. They just experience my emotions, right? Yes. And my actions. And so, and, and which is fine. Like we will have emotions, we will have reactions, we will have expectations that get disappointed and, you know, that's all normal. The beauty of using our language to make something that's internal for us hmm. public or, or you know, conscious for our kids is then we help them kind of pull the veil back behind the mystery of why we do the things we do. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. And so they don't fill in the blanks with like, oh, I did something bad or she's mad at me or I'm not hmm. a good kid or... Yeah she's just mean, you know, (laughs) like whatever the thing is that they're, they're thinking to sort of narrate our inner process. One, it gives them information, which is helpful and regulating and helps them make sense of things. But two, it models what they could also do Hmm. on their end at another point in time when they're feeling the stuff. Yes. Yeah. And you know, there's, so it's, it's interesting what you're saying, because for me, I started, um, it was after I had my third child, I was all over the place. My mental health was everywhere, like just not doing well. I I was overwhelmed with having three young kids, you know, at home. And I, I started, you know, um, implementing certain things that made a really big difference for me. So I started using the word because, and it, it forced me to explain why I was experiencing a certain emotion or why my child was feeling a certain emotion. So for example, it helped me understand that I was having, um, or like around dinner time, around that four or five o'clock period, I feel that my sensory system is like overloaded. And I didn't know that. But when I was having dinner and my kids were saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, is it ready, is it ready? And I was getting annoyed or something happened and it just frustrated me and I would yell a lot more a couple years ago. I started saying, I yelled because. And the more I started saying, if I didn't have an answer, I had to keep repeating it. I'm, I'm mad because my heart's pounding because, and I, I didn't know why at some point around that time, I was just, I knew that I was frustrated, but why? And then I started realizing that like noise, it was the noise. So I had to bring down the noise around that time and it changed my system. So I think mm-hmm. when we start externalizing 
um, why we're having emotions or why our child is right. They might be complaining about something or upset about leaving the park, you know? So if you say they're mad or they're frustrated because they're leaving the park versus just saying they're frustrated, right. Or you're telling somebody, my kid had a tantrum going to school because why finish the sentence with, because add the reason why I think we become more empathetic around all our emotions, ourselves and, and, and our child as well, because there are emotions usually linked to, to some sort of behavior. Um, and, and it just allows us to externalize that. And we can teach that to our kids. Yeah. That's such a good strategy because mm. it, it, it's like a, it's sort of like a built-in mindfulness exercise. Yes. Like you have to sort of practice noticing, not just mm-hmm. the feeling you're having, but trying to locate it in a context. Exactly. And you might not have the answer right away and that's fine, but forcing yourself to have this discussion with yourself or adding that word after a behavior you had or your child had will help you understand the end, the underlying reason behind it. You know, so it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, Dr. Mona Delhook talks about that iceberg. Well, I like to talk about like the environment, like it's just like we're zooming out of the environment. That's how I see it because it just helps me helps me see like what's happening to the child, who's around that child. I'm around that child, so what's happening during that behavior or those emotions? Um, and then sometimes you realize my child doesn't have the language around a certain emotion, or my child, or you notice that your child is frustrated, and you can tell. Let's say they're, they're playing with their siblings and they're not sharing their toys. You can start seeing them kind of go up that mountain, you know, that emotion mountain or whatever it is, but there, you, you're seeing certain signs and, and sim, not symptoms, but signs of a big emotion, then you could give them the language around what it feels like. You could say, well, I noticed your voice is louder, or I noticed you're more stern with your sibling, or I noticed you're stomping your feet, you know, like it's, it's the language around all of that will help them understand what's going on in those moments. Cause it comes out as behavior. We, we know that we talk about that all the time, but for me, it's, it's so important that we understand what's happening in terms of the emotions and giving them the tools that they need. And the more we talk about why they're doing it, the more we can understand what we can offer them. Yeah. There's such a parallel process that's happening too, because the more we narrate the climbing of the mountain that we're mm. observing in our kids, mm. you know, we're narrating for ourselves because it's very quick. I think as a mom, I've certainly been in a situation where like I missed some of those signs and yeah. I just saw my son hit his sister yeah. and I'm yeah. like, and I get mad and I'm like, mm. why'd you hit your sister? Mm. But if I'm recognizing that it's, it, I can also start to notice the wriggliness in his body and <laughs> yeah. say it out loud. And then mm. I notice that he's starting to like make that grunty sound he makes when he's getting kind of frustrated. Mm. And then I notice that he's, you know, you know, picking up a block <laughs> to throw at his sister. Yeah. I might We're say, I think you want to hit your sister with that <laughs> yeah. block right now. And so yeah. now I've, I've slowed down everything mm. for myself. So this is the, when I say parallel process, I mean like mm. I'm on a ride too, right? I'm mm-hmm. climbing a mountain. I'm getting more and more and more agitated the yeah. more I'm observing his aggression. Yeah. And I'm more prone to, if I'm not aware of my own ag- uh, agitation mounting, I'm not going to have the language to narrate this. Yeah this process. And then the other piece, the other parallel is his climbing of the mountain. Mm. And so when I narrate what he, what I'm observing in his behavior, I'm regulating myself. 
I'm also regulating him, mm. which is interesting okay. because it's like a two for one. It's so much work. <laughs> so much work. It's so hard. It's so hard. And I, I, I totally get it that we have, and this is why we have moments, right? That where we, we kind of explode and, and they're fine. You know, I, I gave a workshop last week and something really marked me. There was a dad who said, you know, I love this idea of really sitting down with your child and going through this emotion, you know, mountain and, and understanding where you struggle and which emotions are more difficult for you. So I had explained this part to the group of parents there. And he said, would it be okay if I do this with my child for myself? And I'm like, well, I was, you know, I was excited. I was like, of course, you can do this with your child. Show them that you have struggles as well. And then he said, but isn't that showing them that I have weaknesses? And isn't that going against mm -hmm. the idea of me being the parent and being that authoritative figure in their, in their life that knows how to do everything and knows how to, you know, and always has everything under control? And he said, no, it makes you human. <laughs> and he, I'll, I'll never forget his face. He's like, huh. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I, I just, you know, addressed the entire group and I said, emotions make us human. We don't have to have it right all the time. Um, but we just have to show our kids that we, you know, we are working on certain things if we are, or that we have moments when our cup is full or whatever sort of an analogy or, or visualization you want, you know, um, I like to picture these like, uh, energy power or these bars, you know, like, I don't know, I grew up with Nintendo and Super Nintendo was like Mortal Kombat and all that stuff. And yeah. you have like the, the little, I always picture that like energy, right? The, the character has like full energy and it's green and then like a couple punches and kicks and you're yellow and then it's red and then it's flashing red and you're out. So I picture that throughout the day. I literally think about it when I wake up, where am I? Because you might wake up with that bar being green, but you might also wake up with it being yellow because maybe you had an argument with your partner the night before, or maybe you have something coming up today and you're stressed. And so or maybe that, you had a kid in your bed kicking you all night. <laughs> True story. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All three of my kids are sick right now. So it's not, they've been coughing anyways. Yeah. Yes. But so when you wake up, if you're mindful or aware of where you are on your like energy level or ability to, to manage your own brain, right? Because if I'm in yellow or red, and my child spills milk uh, at breakfast, I won't react the same way um, as if, you know, compared to when my bar is at green and I'm fully capable of controlling myself. Um, so I think it's important that we do show our kids that. And my kids use that language. They have the same visualization and they will let me know where they're at. Sometimes they use that example. Sometimes they use a cup, um, you know, either overflowing like too much or whatever works for your family. But your brain and their brain they're very similar, you know, mm -hmm. it's just that our frontal lobe works, you know, uh, is able to think through emotions and know that, you know, if your boss says something, you don't just flip the table. If you're mad, our child might flip the table because their frontal lobe might not say, Hey, that's not a good idea. So when they have really big emotions, their brain needs us to act as their frontal lobe and, and the think, which is the thinking part of the brain, um, mm -hmm. which I think we've had this discussion, you know, it's so important, I think for parents to understand, what's happening in the brain, because then we realize, well, it's happening in our brain too. It's just that our brain is fully developed and we need to support our child. Um, so I don't know how I got to that, <laughs> but, but basically, yes, we, we do need to be aware of our emotions and the more we are aware of them and the more we show our child that we do have these emotions, it's not a weakness. Emotions are not a weakness. No, they're not. They're super mm. strength. And you said something else that I thought was really interesting. This idea that like there's a shared language, 
Mm. Like you and your kids have a shared language around yes. the energy bars. Yeah. Um, you know, in my family, we have shared languages around feelings being sticky. Oh, um, yeah. I you know, that. like my daughter has her anger can get sticky and she can get mm. stuck in it and it takes mm. a long time for her to get unstuck. Mm. And, you know, it doesn't really matter how you describe it as long as there's this like, I love this idea of creating these sort of like visually mm. rich imagery and language that you share with your kids and you can use your own experience mm. to introduce it. You can use their experience to introduce it. You can link the two. You could say like, I have sticky feelings too. Or, mm-hmm. you know, like you're saying, like you you have an energy bar just like they have an energy bar mm-hmm. and you guys can share that language. Um, I think that that feels really connecting for kids mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. have that sort of sense. Like m- mom does this too. Mom has yeah. the same, same struggles as me <laughs> and she has these same tools in her toolbox. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because yeah, they're emotions. Something. We all have them, right? And I, I think sometimes, uh, you know, it's part of the modeling, right? So I, I think we get stuck a lot on teaching our children the words around emotions, which is good, but it's the first step. And there's so much more after that. Sometimes I'll meet a parent and they have like a five or six-year-old and like they they, they tell me, that, yeah, they know what frustration is and, and, and disappointment, but do they know what it feels like? Do they know what to do when they feel that? Because that's the next, those are the next steps. The first steps are really identifying that there's a lot more than just anger, or sadness, and, and joy or happiness. And what's the in-between? And my kids were two and would understand, um, I would use, the, not understand, but I would use the word disappointment a lot. And I'd say it's a little bit mad and a little bit sad. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right way, but it helped them understand that sometimes these emotions are mixed and sometimes it's not just fully, you know, happiness or f- anger. And even us as adults, I don't know if you've ever experienced like, th- like, you know, mixed emotions where you're like, I'm, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I'm really mad right now, but I'm also sad at the same time. Like, and to like, uh, like a, a huge degree and, and, and it causes confusion, confusion in us. And that's why I think mm. it's important that we first learn how to understand our own emotions and then kind of model that for our kids and help them understand that it's okay to be frustrated. There are different levels of frustration, but what do you do in that moment? How do you know that you're frustrated? Um, you know, sadness or worry even. Worry is something I think we should introduce as a word around our kids because they might not understand like when I'm around a certain person or I go somewhere at school in the morning, my belly hurts or my palms are sweaty. They might not realize what's going on and then it might come out as behavior but if we just always have the language um I said it to my kids today I said it as a as a joke but it was to model that I was like well I'm off to go to the dentist I'm a little worried my heart's pounding I don't want to you know I I I free, like I I just tried to show them like you know I I, I was I was actually a little worried I don't like the dentist <laughs> but I, I wanted to show them like it's okay and when I came back I'm like I went everything's good and you know everything's fine but I just exp- I express like my heart pounding or knowing that there's something internal going on and that it's okay. I'm accepting it and I'm still going, but I wanted to share that emotion with them. And there's really a wrong way, I think, to, to do it. The parents wonder sometimes like, is it okay to let them know that I feel a certain way? And I usually say yes, as long as the topic of conversation is, you know, age appropriate for them, because sometimes (laughs) we might be going through bigger things, but it's okay for them to know that we have emotions. Yeah. I think important actually, like, I think it can be kind of scary to think about a parent that has no 
big emotions and doesn't like, cause then again, it goes back to that idea of like, then our kids are filling in all the blanks. Like we don't know how they feel. We don't know what makes them have feelings. And then, cause we do have feelings and then sometimes they explode out of us cause we are human and we do have those big feelings. (laughs) Then it's really confusing to kids because they're like, well, I thought you didn't have these. Like, where's this big one coming from now? So it's like kind of making the whole emotional process that we go through transparent to them Mm -hmm. can actually reduce their anxiety as they witness our real human emotions. Mm -hmm. Because as much as we might think we're holding it in and we're (laughs) being sort of stoic, (laughs) our kids are really good at picking up the subtle cues And it's so much better to name it outright and say, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling irritated. I'm feeling tired. I don't Mm -hmm. have as much energy to play right now. So me not, you know, saying yes to you isn't because I don't want to play with you. It's because my body's tired right now. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we're, we're, which also actually brings me to this other thing that's a little more sophisticated that kids, you know, probably work on later in life when they're working with peers, and spending, you know, managing and navigating peer conflicts is interpreting another's intention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really challenging skill for most human beings. Like yes. most adults <laughs> that I work with in my practice struggle with mm-hmm. interpreting, accurately interpreting other people's intentions. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think one of the reasons why as a kind of people we struggle with this is because most people were not raised by parents who narrated their inner worlds to their children yeah. and helped them connect the dots and help them fill in the blanks and help them learn when my face looks like this, this is what I'm thinking and feeling on the inside mm-hmm. so that your kid is not guessing, probably inaccurately, <laughs> probably with some magical thinking or some egocentric, you know, something I did because mm-hmm. that's usually what we do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think in making your inner experience transparent, obviously, it models for them language around emotions. It models for them m- emotion regulation, but it always it also plants the seed for being more accurate and in, in, uh, interpreting other people's intentions and inner worlds. Yeah, and I think it's something that as parents sometimes we we don't know how to do it, and we we worry that we're not doing it properly. And I, I think we don't realize that there's so much around us, right? So you can be reading a book, or perhaps you're watching a movie, and then you could kind of pull out the emotions that certain characters are experiencing and and start conversations around that. So I, I always recommend this as like the simplest way to start having conversations around other people's emotions. Um, sometimes, like it's happened with my kids that they're playing with another child here on the street and something happens and I try to bring it back up again, either through play or at dinner. Um, you know, I noticed that you said this, how do you think that made them feel? Or they said this to you, how did you feel when that happened? And just having those conversations, um, you know, with our kids around emotions, it's, it's, it helps them. And if you have an older child, they could even like journal about like feelings that they had after a certain experience, something happened at school with a friend, how did that make them feel? Just understanding how certain situations cause different emotions in a child. And, you know, um, you can do that very young with a child as young as three, when you're reading a book, you know, you can point at a character and say, how does that bear feel? And, you know, usually there are the faces you can tell if they're mad or frustrated or sad. 
And then just having the language around that and saying, yeah, that bear feels sad. Why do you think that bear feels sad? Um, and, and just like simple conversations, obviously at their age level, but there's, there are ways to do that so that we can get, like you said, we're planting the seeds so that we can have those conversations later and that they can understand other people too that are around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned that there's like steps to this, right? Like kind mm -hmm. of like you can, you can level up. We'll go yeah. with the same like <laughs> Mortal Kombat metaphor, yeah. but like we level up in our ability to teach our kids emotion language, right? So maybe mm -hmm. it starts with, I'm going to just name the emotion. Mm -hmm. What, what are like the steps? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So naming the different emotions when they're like two or three, when you're feeling something, like if you're frustrated, you're cooking and you forget, you know, an ingredient, you forgot an ingredient or whatever it is, or you're in the car and somebody cuts you off. It's okay to say like, that's so frustrating. Oh my gosh. Like whatever it is. Um, but that's the first step, just always naming the emotion and, and, and expressing the moments that you are experiencing that particular emotion. And then when I would play with my kids, then I would use, I would let them know, you know, like, it seems like you're mad, um, you know, and, and I, I think there's conversations around that. Uh, I, it was at Brené Brown who talks about like, we can't really name the emotions of a person. I, I forget. I had, I heard a conversation once and now I keep thinking about that because I always used to name my children's emotions, but I was like, what if it's, what if I'm saying anger and it's like a mix of frustration and sadness and anger. I don't know. So I just try to say like, it looks like, you know, you're feeling this way. It, you know, I see that you're stomping your foot. You know, my three-year-old today was really disappointed, um, about everything <laughs> around dinner time tonight. So when we came in, I, you know, he had, he was pouting and he was looking down and his eyebrows were furrowed and he had his arms crossed. And I said, well, I could tell that you're really mad that we didn't uh, come inside as soon as you wanted to. I know you wanted to be outside. So just, you know, I use that word mad and then he just kind of agrees. But I know that as I keep using that, he'll start understanding when he's experiencing those different types of emotions. The next steps which will be my three-year-old, which is something I'm doing now with my five-year-old, is I can tell when he's worried about something or I can tell when he's starting to feel sad if his older sister is doing something that he couldn't do. And he'll kind of like distance himself from the situation instead of like speaking to her and saying, I'd like to join you. You know, he'll, he, he won't do that. So I've noticed that. That's my job. I've noticed how he acts around her with certain emotions. And now I'm trying to label or, or help him identify exactly what I just said. So I'll say, I noticed that you, you know, instead of going to your sister, you backed away and sat on the couch, but you look sad. You know, you can speak to her if you want to, if you want to play that specific game. And even if you're too young, she'll show you how to play it, you know, like it's okay. So I, I want him to understand that he tends to do that. And I just, I don't label it. I just kind of keep um, describing the environment and, and how he's acting. Um, and then as they get older, it's now with my seven-year-old, it's when she's worried or when she's mad about something, like how do you deal with it? How do you stay in that emotion? Because it's okay to keep that emotion. We don't have to push it off, um, which is what I was taught. So it's really hard to teach that because you automatically just want to like, like <laughs> brush it off and it's over with and it's uncomfortable and you don't want to deal with it. Um, but I'm learning how to stay in certain emotions. And so I'm telling her like, it's okay to be mad at your brother or it's okay to be mad at me because I did something and I know you're not happy with that. Um, but how do we move past that emotion? How do we kind of, you know, um, uh, do something to help us? Maybe mommy goes for a walk or, you know, sometimes it's okay to come downstairs and take a moment to yourself. So that's the language I'm having with her so that she knows that anger and sadness are okay, but what helps you 
move past it, not get rid of it completely right away, but how do you move past that? So that's, yeah. those are the three different conversations I'm having with my kids. I think that's so helpful too, to like see how it progresses as, yeah. you know, our kids become a bit more mature mm. and have more of a language foundation for this mm. stuff. Do you also connect, like I'm thinking about the somatic element, like the physiological feeling of emotions, because I'm, it's definitely something I'm thinking about a lot with my kids is like trying to help them make links to like when we're, they, they've got a lot of the feelings down. They're three and almost five. They know their feelings. Um, but I'm trying to help them also create language for what that feeling feels like in their body. Like, is your heart yeah. beating really fast? Is your jaw clenched? Are your fists and balls? Like, <laughs> what are they physiologically experiencing? Because I also want them to link up sort of the, the thinking and the feeling, like what's happening oh. in their body. Oh, yes. Okay. So, yes. <laughs> the my uh, With regards to the examples I gave, it's just the common ones. But if, uh, there's one that I, I think we forget in terms of like having to teach our children emotion regulation skills, but it's excitement, right? So we often see our kids like, ah, yeah. oh, they're just so much energy and just so it's annoying. And and it's true. It's frustrating because we can't, we can't match their energy. And I get that. Um, but what we don't realize is sometimes at the end of the day, this type of emotion requires us to help them regulate. <laughs> and we need to regulate ourselves first because we might get triggered by all this energy and jumping up and down when it, in our minds we're settling down for the end of the day and we, we're we're picturing bedtime and relaxing and it's not going to happen. Um, so yes, the excitement one, I'll often tell them like, place your hand on your, on your heart and they feel it. I'm like, do you feel that pumping really fast? And they're like, yeah, let's jump some more and run around the house. I'm like, nope, <laughs> we're gonna, you know, when we notice that our heart is pounding really, really fast and we have lots of energy, it's okay if we're outside and releasing the energy, but now our body's getting ready for bedtime. And that's when I introduce like either quiet reading time altogether or, um, a puzzle that we're going to do together, something because it, it's my role. He's still the three and five year olds are, are still young. So it's, I try to help them come back down. Um, cause if I don't do that, then I get really frustrated. It's just too much energy. Um, right. with those two boys, but yeah, it's, um, that's an example of like when I do that, the, the other symptoms I haven't really noticed in them, but I will talk about like a belly ache when you're worried or nervous about something or um, maybe a headache or just like sweating in your palms or your knees feeling weak, you know, like, but we haven't, mm -hmm. I haven't seen that yet in them. Yeah. Um, some language that I've used with them that my five-year-old is able to use, my five and seven-year-olds, um, is when they use the phrase, when I have big emotions, my brain has trouble hearing like hearing mommy or daddy and my brain struggles with like thinking. So they, they will say these, the sentence because, and it happened today. So my three-year-old who was just so mad throughout dinner time, um, my seven-year-old looked at me and I kept telling him like, take a breath. It's okay. We're going to go inside. Let's just finish our dinner. But he didn't care. He's three years old. He, he didn't care. He wanted to go inside. He didn't want to eat. He just, he wanted to take his plate inside and, and I wanted the perfect dinner outdoors. Um, but he, uh, my, my seven-year-old looked at me and said, mommy, he, his brain is, it, his brain has too many emotions right now. He doesn't hear you. I'm like, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's, and at that moment I was getting frustrated with him. And when she said that, I kind of laughed to myself. I was like, yes, that's true. Thank you. <laughs> I need to take a <laughs> breath and remember that he's three and he's disappointed. So he's literally, he cannot hear what I'm saying because 
his brain is is just over is is flooded with emotions and his frontal his prefrontal cortex isn't telling his brain like there's no reason to be this upset it he can't it's not that's not right. what's happening so it was up to me to kind of just I had to take my breath because that's another thing, right? When we're at the top of that mountain that we spoke of, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> it's, no. That's not the right time to teach skills and tools and to tell them to calm down because I always mm -hmm. compare it to adults. If my partner would have tell me to calm down when I'm on the top of that mountain, <laughs> it's the worst. You can't, you can't do that. <laughs> You're right. going to see the worst side of me, you know? Like yeah. it's, so it's the same with our kids. We can't, we have to work with them as we see them climbing that mountain, getting their way to the peak. But once they're at their peak, they're at their peak it's okay to step back and, and just wait. Just yeah. I often say actually like, I mean, we're spending all this time, you and me talking about like naming feelings, making mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the internal, external, mm -hmm. using language, having a share, all that's wonderful. But there's a no language zone at the top of the mountain. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There, that, because they're pre, like we are talking about their prefrontal yeah. cortex if that's offline, which is what happens at the top exactly. of the mountain, no. um, that's where the language comprehension mm -hmm. areas are all stored. So you are just noise at that yes. point. Yeah. And it's actually like annoying noise, overstimulating <laughs> noise. You are adding gasoline to a fire at that point. So I always, I mean, parents will often say to me, they're like, I try naming the feelings and it does not work. My kids just get more upset. And so if that's happening, it's just a really good sign that you're in the no language zone. Yes. You're at the, you're too high above mm -hmm. the clouds. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing you could do. You just mm -hmm. have to wait. Same thing for us, right? If we're really upset, something happened. Uh, and, and there's just, we need time. We need time to come back down and our kids need that time too. So we just have to wait. And when we see that they're starting to come down, um, you know, and, and that's where the co-regulation comes in. That's where the, just taking breaths ourselves and, and regulating ourselves because that we're triggered. It's not going to change anything. If they need time, it's fine. You know, as long as they're not hurting themselves or anybody, it's just, they need the time and we need to step back. Um, and, and once they're down, then past like that, like no language zone and coming back down that mountain, then that's where we're kind of bringing back the tools or a, a little bit of the language and saying, Whoo, you got really mad there. Right. Like we, you know, I had try, I was trying to speak to you and show you that, you know, it, we were going to go inside, you know, in two minutes, but you didn't hear me, you know, and, and, and that's okay. Um, but let's just take a breath now that I, you can hear me and I see that you're, you're, you have eye contact with me and I'm at their level, you know, let's just take a breath together. It's okay. You know, and trying to bring their system down. Mm -hmm. Um, but if yeah. we're dysregulated at that point, it's hard to help them once they're coming back down. Yeah. Yeah. And we keep, we keep talking about like the no language zone at the top of the mountain. And, and that's really important to know like when your kid is there, like language may not be regulating to them, but also there's some kids who find that language around their emotions is dysregulated no matter where they are on this mountain. They may mm -hmm. not be completely at the peak of dysregulation. They may actually just be really sensitive to being seen in that way. Like yeah. I know there are kids who are really emotionally sensitive who when we we name accurately the feeling that they're having, it's almost like the you seeing me this accurately and me having to face the reality of this feeling that I'm having that is too intense and too overwhelming for me 
all of that can be really destabilizing for a kid sometimes. Not all mm. kids, but there are those kids, those special spicy kids who live so close to that shame. Like their feelings of shame live so close to the their emotional experiences that like if you accurately tap into that emotional experience, you name that feeling, they can feel a tremendous amount of shame yeah. or they can feel like almost like a like an intense vulnerability of being seen that that fully. Um, and that's hard. That's really hard as a parent to respond to that because we sometimes are like, I don't, I, there's nothing I can say that helps this kid. And I think those are the times when like, not, that's again, like that's a, your kid has a no language zone around feeling sometimes. And so we want to be really mindful of like, we have to talk about feelings when they're not feeling them. We have to sort of stretch their tolerance for talking about emotions, for separating an emotion like anger from an emotion like shame mm. um, in calm, cool, connected moments, preferably even like once removed. So with book characters or, you know, reflecting on other people's emotional experiences or animals' emotional experiences, right? Like until we build up that tolerance for maybe considering reflecting on the feelings that they're experiencing in the moment. But that's, you know, if you have a kid that's dealing with that, like, there's like a separate set of skills that you kind of have to hone. We should probably at some point do an episode just on that. But like, I know even me, like I'm actually not that sensitive of a person, you know, in general, I have a pretty low threshold for anxiety and dis dysregulation. Um, partly my temperament, but partly the years of practice of this stuff. And even I lose my words sometimes, or I get flooded. Like I know in my calm sort of reflective moments where I'm just sort of like thinking about how something went, I'm like, oh, I could have said that or I could have said that. Oh, I could have said that or like, you know, but in the moment, you know, and it's not even like terrible things. Like I'll say something like, be careful instead of where are the places you could put your feet that feel oh, yeah. safe to you right now, yeah. right? Which, yeah, it's not Both bad. answers yeah. are fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One is richer in yes. its like teaching capacity. But when I'm seeing my kid do something risky, my like language escapes me and uh, the, the automatic response is just be careful. Yeah. Um, and so I think we as parents can be really hard on us ourselves for like not mm. saying the right thing. Mm. And I just want to like, I don't know. I don't even have a strategy for you. I just want to name that like that happened. <laughs> it happens to everybody. And I think going back later, one, I'm reflecting like afterwards and saying, oh, I could have said this, this, and this. As long as I'm not beating myself up, that's useful information for me to reflect on. Mm -hmm. And then I don't have to intervene in the moment with the quote unquote right thing. I can go back to my kid later, the next exactly. day even, and mm -hmm. say, hey, remember when you were climbing on that, on that rock and I kind of just said, be careful? What I think I could have said in that mm. moment was actually, where do you think you could put your feet that feels the safest? And then mm. you could just have the conversation later. Like there's no, I think there's no expiration yeah. date on reflective conversations and mm. it might not be relevant anymore, right? Obviously like he's not climbing on that rock anymore. He might, We're not even, he might <laughs> but what you're doing in that moment is you're practicing the debrief, mm. which I think helps kids learn cause and effect. It helps them learn reflective functioning. It helps them 
learn strategies for our next time. Like, mm-hmm. so even if we're not like quote unquote repairing, right? It's not like I yelled at him and I need yeah. to say I'm sorry, but it's just like, oh, I was thinking about this and I thought of a different way. Let me share it with you. Mm-hmm. That's like a f- nice connected moment you could have with your kid. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I think we're like so hard on ourselves that we didn't think of the right thing to say that we don't really even think about the fact that we could just have that conversation later. Yeah. No, it's true. You know, I I had uh, I interviewed this researcher from Europe who focuses um, all his research on emotion regulation skills. And so I was like, okay, give me your golden... <laughs> like your one piece of information that's going to change all the parents' lives, uh, you know, and I was thinking it had like a certain strategy or whatever it was. And he's like, self-compassion. I was like, huh? <laughs> he's <laughs> like, if, if every parent were to practice self-compassion, he's like, we've seen it in the studies where we look at, um, overworked and, and burnt out, like pediatricians and doctors, we work on their self-compassion and all of a sudden stress goes down and all of a sudden they're able to, um, uh, like their social emotional skills and understanding other people and, and having the empathy towards them changes that one change of self-compassion. And I was like, that was my moment. My like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Because I think it comes back to what you just said, right? Like we're really hard on ourselves in those moments, but if we just remember that we're not perfect and it's okay to have those human moments where you make a mistake or it's okay to lose control of your own emotions. And, and, you know, perhaps you didn't lose, you didn't learn these strategies or perhaps you're not comfortable with certain emotions in your child, just understanding all of that. And in that moment, just saying, I'm going to do my best and then I'll deal with it after. And in the way that you said, you know, you might not have said the same way you, the, you might not have this, the words that you wanted to use in that moment, but then you were able to reflect and you're showing your child my brain was offline too. <laughs> I had that moment, but now that I can actually speak with you, you know, here's what I should have said, or here's, here's what I should have done. And that place comes from a self-compassion area, I think of just saying like, okay, I had a moment, let me move on and and deal with my child. And then like that brain space, not having that guilt, huh, it's like so <laughs> freeing, right? Of not yeah. having to pile up all that guilt. Why do we do that? <laughs> I don't know. I know. Cause I used to do it. I used to do that a lot. Yeah. It's hard yeah. not to. I mean, yeah. I still do it. And I'm like yeah. constantly reminded of the mm. the strategies, you know, it's really hard mm. to use them in the moment. I also think part of the reason, like there's, there's two sides to it. Like on the one side, it's like, maybe we didn't know these skills. Maybe this is not familiar to us. Maybe we really have to kind of really be conscious about integrating these new ways of being because they're so not ingrained in us. Mm. And that can be a big challenge to self-compassion. I think the other piece that really just attacks our self-compassion muscles (laughs) is the fact that like probably a lot of us are consuming a lot of media content, Mm. social media content about parenting. And there's so much out there that's like... And I mean, like I, I put it out there, you yeah, put it out same. there, like, this is what you can do. And this is how you can handle this. And this is the, the sort of optimal way of doing this. And this is what the research says. And mm-hmm. it's so wonderful that there is this in, tremendous amount of information out there for parents, because I get so many parent like grandparents who follow along with the work that I'm doing. And I get all the time, like, I wish I had this when I was raising my yeah. kids, like where there's a great, great benefit to this massive amount of information that's out there. We wouldn't be doing this work if we felt it wasn't good and important stuff to do. And also it can feel for, as a parent consuming it, which I'm also Mm -hmm. one of those people too, is like, 
oh my God, there's so many things I'm supposed to do. There's so many ways I can mess this up. There's so many (laughs) things I'm supposed to say. And like, it can just feel like we're never good enough. Yeah. I get that. And I get that. And I, I feel, I feel bad sometimes, you know, when I, I hear parents say like they're overwhelmed and they're consuming this content because I'm like, yeah, I'm part of it. I'm, but, but like you said, I think that it's important that we remember that we're doing this for a reason and we're putting the information out there. And, And what I always tell parents is this just gives you many ways of trying things. It's not that there's a right or wrong way, but it gives you many different ways of approaching your child with their emotions and many different, or, or a lot of language that you can use from different platforms and people that you learn from. And not everything, including from my information, will work on that particular child. You know, I parent every child that I have very differently, similar in some ways, but different in other ways. So that's the same thing, you know, when it comes to, to parenting information where the parents sort of have to say this, this makes sense for my family and for myself, I'll, I'll try this. And it's okay if it doesn't work, just move on to something else. But every child and every family and every parent is different. I think what I was having this discussion with my mother-in-law, I think it was last year, but she's like, oh, we never had any of this stuff and we just did it. We just parented and, you know, everybody turned out okay. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, well, (laughs) you know, what's okay? (laughs) (laughs) Our generation is not okay (laughs) in particular, but like, I was just explaining to her that I think our generation wants to do things differently. And it's not that they did it wrong. We're not pointing fingers because I'll have this discussion with my mom as well, where she'll just say like, you keep talking about like you were raised in a way that wasn't great. And then she's like, I listen to your podcast and I read your content and I did the best I could. And I said, I know you did the best Mm -hmm. you could, but now that I understand the research, I, I'm able to pinpoint what I want to do differently. It doesn't mean that it was right or wrong. I just, I'd like to do it a bit differently. And there's things that I'm taking from her and there are things that I'm not, you know, and, and I, I don't want the grandparents to be offended, but I think this is where, why it's important for us as, you know, these platforms and, and these parenting people, whatever we are, <laughs> like, you know, uh, to help others though. Like, yeah. I think that's the thing. Like there's yeah. people out there who are sharing lots of information about parenting and some of it is opinion. Some of it is based yes. off of like their yeah. own experience. And that's wonderful. But I think it's really important to also know where you're getting your information. Like, yeah. and I'm not even implying that I know all the answers because I'm a psychologist, mm. but I, mm. I do put a lot of thought into presenting information in a way that is both mindful of the receiver yeah. of their own mental yes. health yeah. and about what kind Compassion of pressure and, and potential um, even judgment or shame I might be creating for another yeah. person who's taking in this information. And I don't know that everybody does that. And I think yeah. there's also a lot of information out there that's just plain inaccurate. Yes. And yeah. so it can be really, really kind of overwhelming for parents to be receiving contradictory information, information that doesn't have context or that's taken out of context. Yeah. And then you know, I think so. No, I think the work that you do is incredibly important because it is back, backed by research. And it's mm-hmm. not to say that our parents um, or the, you know, the generation before us as a whole were bad parents because we're doing things differently. We have new information. Exactly. There's new yeah. information. We know way more about the brain. I mean, the, the the research on brain science didn't even really start at the level that it's at now till like yeah. the 90s. Like yeah. we we exactly. don't, there was like, 
so much more is known about brain development Mm. than there was when our parents' generation was parenting. So it's not about people being good or bad parents. It's about expanding our strategies to encompass the most relevant and Mm. accurate information and research that we now know. It's nobody's fault that they didn't know what they didn't know. No, exactly. Especially when it comes to emotions, like the brain research is relatively new. Emotion regulation research is like, just like in its infancy, right? So Mm -hmm. I I think that's where it's, it's okay that our parents didn't implement that, that they didn't teach us appraisal, that they didn't teach us like, you know, acceptance and, and problem solving, which are those like really like adaptive strategies to use for kids, like, and for ourselves, we didn't know, they didn't know that. And, and, and it's not pointing no. fingers, but now that we know that, I think as a society, we need to learn it <laughs> and, and really start or continue the conversations around emotions because, you know, if we don't show our children these skills in terms of naming their emotions, knowing how to identify them, knowing what to do, knowing how to recognize it in somebody else, knowing how to communicate it to their partner when they're older, there will be issues, right? There, there'll be struggles. I think about like my friend's a HR, my my best friend's um, a HR director at a company and all she does is deal with people's emotions and their issues, right? Communication issues, who said what to whom, who, who, who behaved a certain way that wasn't right, who said, who didn't regulate themselves and like lashed out at somebody else at the office. And she has to like, you know, um, uh, work on all these issues with, with people. And she comes back to me and she's like, you need to talk about emotion regulation skills with adults because we don't know, you know, people yell or... It's just, it's, it's something that we as a society need to work on and help our kids. You know, even in school, if a child isn't regulating their emotions, um, I, I, I can't remember the name of the, 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 the author of the study, but they will perhaps struggle with friendships within the school or building that relationship with their teacher because they're acting out, but it's based on their emotions. They're frustrated and they don't know how to control that. Um, uh, and then later on, you know, it's as a teenager, they might struggle with that as a new job and career. They might struggle with coworkers uh, as somebody getting married or in a relationship, they might struggle with their partner. So it really is important. And it's not that I want to make, I don't want parents to panic if they haven't started yet and that's okay. It's never too late. Um, but you know, if you have a six-year-old who's really, really, or an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old who's really struggling with, you know, what to do with frustration or disappointment, then start from the beginning with what we just said. Let's name that frustration. When do you feel that? Let's, if they're older, let's, let's just write down, you know, I felt frustrated at 5 PM, (laughs) just a little journal, very simple, but something, you know, what did I do when I felt frustrated? I did this, you know, was there another way to express that? Um, but just, again, it's like we said at the beginning, it's taking it out, like that internal thing, which is an emotion that we don't see, but we see it as a behavior. So what does it look like? And that's when you start understanding when I'm frustrated, I behave this way. Or when I'm really disappointed, I behave that way. Maybe I don't act like myself and I internalize it or whatever it is, you know, like it's just so important for us to have these conversations. No, it is. There's so much that can go into building different types of awareness around these things. So I think Mm -hmm. it is really important to, to talk about this stuff with them. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us about all the stuff that you're doing. If people want to learn more, you have so many cool things going on. If people want to learn more about your work, where can they find you? What are you up to these days? Yeah, they can start at curiousneuron.com. There's a a few things. There there are the blogs that we have graduate students from different labs. So I collaborate a lot with labs, research labs, and there's a section as well where you can participate in a research study. So that's my goal, right? Is I'm trying to bridge the gap, right? Between the science and, and parents. Um, there's, I have the podcast as well. There's, there are new episodes out every Monday for the Curious Neuron podcast. Um, we have an academy that we're slowly building, but for us, it's just about getting content out there. I just launched the YouTube channel. Um, what else? I think that's it. There's Instagram, uh, curious underscore neuron, and that's all for now. <laughs> just that, just yeah. that. <laughs> We'll put links to everything in the show notes too, because if people have not been following the work you're doing, like go, go follow Sydney (laughs) because, because it's like, I, this is why I always love connecting with people who are in the science of it, because it's just so the stuff you're sharing is, it's so trustworthy. Thank you. Like it's so, it's you put, and you put so much care into how you translate things. You really take the time. I love how you translate research and you don't just do it once. It's not like, oh, I did a research study or I read this research study. Let me put a post up. You'll do like five or six yeah. posts breaking down one study. I love the work yeah, that you're doing. Because you might have a different question and that study might have, you know, you might look at it from a different lens and say, okay, this answers that question. Or sometimes, you know, what's helpful for a parent is just like the procedure and the sort of the scale that they use. And there might be questions that might help us. So I try to really break down a study. It's not about like getting an answer So my approach is very different. It's not about like saying like, what's the answer to this question? And, you know, this is the only way to do it. It's it's more of what can we learn from this particular study? And I know that sometimes there are limitations to studies and I'll address that too, but what can we pull out of the study and and what can we as parents just gain in terms of knowledge and and how to parent? Um, But yeah, and I forgot to mention as well, um, I also launched a, a, an app this summer. I don't know if I told you. I and know so about it. About I love emotion, this. Motion regulation skills. It's called Wonder Grade. And basically we developed this character called Ollie. He's like this lovable, big, oh. like green monster. And it teaches kids like mindfulness skills and and it teaches kids like breathing techniques and, and calming ways to calm yourself at, you know, before bedtime. And there's a parent section because we realized that we can't just give the kids the kids tools, but we need to help the parents too. So we have like five minute audios that come out every Sunday that discover, like help parents understand like what happens when you're, when you're raised a certain way or what, what do you do when your child says something like this or how do you address that? And then we have like an emergency button. So in moments when you just need that best friend to like place their hand on your shoulder, there's like super relaxed audio that's like two minutes so you could step away from your child and it says like it's not about you you're not a bad parent you know like let this moment pass talk (laughs) about building self-compassion yes exactly but we're taking all everything so full circle because we're talking all about how like we need to sort of for our kids to learn these skills we have to do it for them first Mm -hmm. we have to make the language explicit. Yes. And your app is basically doing that for parents yes. exactly. in these hot moments. It's like, here's the language that you need to hear right now yes, exactly. so that you can internalize it so that you can then go do that for your kids. Exactly. I need, I did it for myself. <laughs> I needed that voice. So Christy, my co-founder, we're to, her and I, like, she has such a relaxing voice. So I was like, could you just record this? And then we put it on the app. But uh, yeah. That's so, so great. Yeah. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thank you so much. You got to come back again. Yes. And you got to come back on mine too. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. In this episode, Cindy and I spoke about how important it is to model and teach emotion regulation skills to our children. If you want a simple and straightforward way to get started, check out my free guide, Reduce Tantrums Before They Even Begin. This guide helps you to strengthen your child's ability to regulate their emotions through play. In it, you will learn five fun games that you can play with your child to help them develop skills like learning to breathe, inhibiting impulse, and calming their bodies, all really important aspects of emotion regulation. And because we're developing these skills through play, our child's brain's prefrontal cortex will be engaged, meaning your child is in the best headspace for learning new skills that actually stick. To download this free guide, go to drsarahbren.com forward slash resources. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash resources. Thanks for listening and don't be a stranger.